Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister has preached truth and reconciliation for as long as we can remember. But what has that done for Caledonia? It is the last weekend for the U.S. presidential campaign. We'll update you on what you can expect going into Tuesday. And are young people getting the COVID-19 message? Perhaps we're delivering it the wrong way. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, Halloween is canceled. I I build my monster every year. I just want to connect these jumper cables to here and just sew this up a little bit. This monster Frankenstein 2020 is going to be great. Kurt's going to love this. Saw this a little bit here. Put these two together and see what happens. It's a lie. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. It's a time change Halloween weekend. One more hour of sleep, one more hour of Halloween, and one more hour of the scariest year in the century. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! Let's uh, head down to Caledonia. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, I remember coming back to uh, CHML back to 875 Main Street uh, about 15 years ago, and uh, Jamie West was uh, covering the Caledonia story with Douglas Creek and such, the Douglas Creek Estates uh, extensively, and and we know how you know that eventually settled. The province came in and bought the land. Uh, I guess, but here this problem is still there, and it, it must be incredibly frustrating for not only uh, Six Nations, but the people of Caledonia, who uh, are still living with this. And despite a government that has been preaching truth and reconciliation, I mean, it all sounds good, but these are the problems that are at ground level. These are the issues that need to be dealt with. And you have to ask yourself why there isn't something going on, why there isn't a liaison from the federal government down here and helping calm these waters, solve these issues. I'm sure there's lots of stuff going on behind the scenes, but really, or is there? Or is there? We really don't know. Um, uh, let's bring in uh, the mayor of Haldeman, Ken Hewitt. Uh, we have uh, do have calls into uh, the people of Six Nations and uh, hoping to get them on as well, including uh, the Chief Mark Hill. Let's bring in Ken Hewitt, Mayor of Haldeman. Ken, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. For having me. So, Ken, uh, you know, as I've said before, and we've talked about this, uh, it seems like forever now, but is there any sort of communication with the federal government here? And as I mentioned before, you, you know, you think even a first step would be having some sort of you know, a team or or liaison that comes down and, and visits these hotspots and tries to get things calmed down and dialogue moving forward. Has there been any sort of exchange like that? Scott, there hasn't been uh, any any conversation that I'm aware of uh, with the federal government uh, since this has started, which is uh, just unacceptable. 
It is, uh, considering how much uh, they have uh, preached truth and reconciliation. And, 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 and to their credit, it has certainly brought the discussion to the forefront. More people are talking about it than ever have in the past. But again, these are the problems that are on the ground and have been for many, many years. And it would just, it seems to make sense that when these flare-ups happen, that there isn't somebody that's jettisoned in to, to try to calm them from the federal government. Give us the latest, Ken, on the site and what is going on. Well, it's, it's pretty quiet. Uh, nothing's going on, which is uh, the wrong message that uh, people want to see. I mean, they they, they want to see some kind of activity. And, and as you said, I, I, you know, we, we understand this isn't going to get resolved overnight, but but even a uh, you know just a, an attempt from the federal government to you know to suggest that there's a willingness to you know to have some dialogue with those on Six Nations to to start moving things forward that that in itself would you know make people feel a little bit more uh, comfortable with uh, with what's happening but you know as we see it today it's uh, you know more accidents are occurring on the back streets and and. Uh, trucks and and, and and different vehicles are being rerouted uh, through streets that uh, they just start built and designed for. So at this point, there seem, it's relatively calm on the site and and there doesn't seem to be a lot of movement. There's, there's absolutely no, no movement. In fact, Scott, there's still four homes uh, that are behind the barricades without power, with no heat or hydro that we've been trying to, uh, which is the strangest thing the most surreal thing negotiate with the culprits that actually took the power away from these people to allow hydro one in there to restore uh the power to these individual homes which is absolutely insane so uh, that was my next question uh obviously the story coming out of the citizen there who has no power there's four homes as you mentioned that are that are caught between all of this uh i'm guessing this was due to the burned out uh, uh fire or uh, hydro pole which uh, obviously these people are so close to it uh they can't be rerouted so what is the situation there any idea when power will be restored to those homes well it's uh you know the <laughs> The inmates are running the asylum here, Scott. It, uh, you know, the the OPP can't get in there, obviously, to escort Hydro One, and Hydro One's willing to go, but they're not going to go there without an escort. Uh, Six Nations Police has offered to give them an escort, and it, uh, you know, we're waiting for uh, for those that are on the site that are supposedly peaceful to allow Hydro One to, to to provide a basic need to these individuals who are completely innocent in this. So uh, at this time, there's no uh, time or date set as to when that power will be restored. Uh, that's, that's correct. So um, what about Chief Hill on this? Again, we've tried to make contact with him. What's his position? Do you know? Well, they've, uh, they've made a public uh, statement, obviously, that uh, doesn't condone the violence uh, or, or the activities that have been going on. Uh, I, I, as far as where he stands, I, I, I believe he's uh, consistent with we are, but uh, I, I certainly can't speak for, for the chief. But in the past, when we've spoken, he uh, he wants to see the claims move forward, just as we all do. Uh, but he'd like to see it move forward in a boardroom, uh, not on the streets. Is there any way he can help get that power restored? Uh, I know they're all trying, Scott. They. Uh, They've all made efforts, uh, and, and they're continuing to make efforts. Uh, many so, who would be, who would be stopping them, Ken? 
it's the uh, the, the protesters. Uh, they've been specifically told by the protesters that uh, Hydro One's more than welcome to come in, but the police uh, escort's not uh, not not allowed. And does the does the indigenous community agree with the protesters? Uh, again, I you know the yeah. messages that we've been receiving is mixed. There's there's some that uh, do support it, and there's others that don't. Uh, and so, and I, I don't think it's uh, it specifically say uh, whether it's a hundred percent or not. And um, in regard, you, you, we talked about the the hydro pole and such, and the electric uh, and the electrical situation. What about rail lines or highways or sorry roads? The CN rail line uh, has been damaged. Uh, it's uh, it's completely shut down. So. Imperial Oil, uh, which ships fuel to uh, the GTA, is uh, is has been uh, hampered. Uh, a number of other companies, uh, such as CGC, which uh, is down the street, is having difficulty. So it's uh, it's it's causing some economic issues with uh, the rail line being down as well. Uh, I can imagine how the community feels about this. Uh, yeah, I think angered, uh, angry. Uh, is probably saying it pretty light. So at this point, Ken, do you just sit and wait for something to happen? Well, I've been uh, in conversations with uh, with the minister uh, Greg Rickford, and uh, and obviously with the OPP on a regular basis. And you know the the, the message that I've been uh, passing to to the province is that they need to you know publicly come out, stand behind the land titles uh, that exist within the province, and uh, and they need to you know specifically. Uh, make uh, you know a public statement with respect to them and the federal government engaging Six Nations in some meaningful dialogue, and then brings it back to the conversation you and I had before, which is who's that dialogue going to be with? And uh, Six yeah. Nations needs to uh, you know assemble themselves in a way that they can feel that they're getting supported uh, and 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 represented in a transparent way. It just seems like there's a lot of uh, round and circles going on here, Ken. A lot of buck passing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, well, that's exactly what it is. And, and the sad part is, is while all that's happening, there's uh, a community here that uh, is a sacrificial lamp for, for, as you mentioned earlier, truth and reconciliation across the country. You know, anytime there's a, a potential issue, uh, it seems to, you know, this is the, the tip of the arrow right here in Caledonia, and, uh, and, there, and the community's at the mercy of it. Well, it seems that this is what truth and reconciliation is all about. But, you know, unless it's a major pipeline or a major rail disruption, nothing seems to be done. I mean, to me, this is where the discussion needs to start. This is the grassroots kind of, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, conversation that we have to have here. This is where it all starts. Don't you, you know, instead of those, you know, for example, today the Prime Minister is on talking about uh, Indigenous communities and and what he's going to do for them getting through COVID-19 and the water issue, which is all fabulous, but these are the issues that are that are down on the ground as well and still in, in effect affecting more people. Absolutely. It's uh, when you've got the largest police force saying in the courts that any application of force on the street is going to result in potential destruction across the country. So, so what that tells me is that as long as nothing happens here in Caledonia, we'll sacrifice 
the infrastructure here to save the infrastructure in the rest of the country. Makes no sense, but that's what's happening, is that Caledonia is paying the price to keep the peace across the country. So who do you, are, you know, we talked about communication with the federal government. You haven't had any. Or Who is the go-to person? Where, would, where do you start there with, with making communication with the federal government? Who do we have to get on the phone here, Ken? Well, it's uh, Carolyn Bennett and Mark Miller are the two that, uh, that should be answering your calls and answering the media and, 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 and making a public statement. And, uh, they've been completely absent. In fact, Scott, you know, we'd be better served if we got a truckload of lobsters jump, dropped into the uh, Grand River here. We might actually get some attention. Hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, so what, uh, I hate to say this, but acceleration is the only way these uh, this issue is going to be addressed, unfortunately. that You know, that's the sort of predicament they're putting your community in. We're, we're at a crossroads, Scott. There's two things that uh, happen. Either the federal government gets off the hill and gets down here and, and, and engages in dialogue, or the OPP have to follow through with a court injunction, which, which ultimately uh, will become a confrontation between themselves and those that uh, are not willing to be peaceful. So, so there's, there's, there's two courses of action. The federal government has the choice to decide how that outcome is going to be. The judge isn't lifting the injunction. And the and the and the 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 owner of the property's not. The province isn't going to buy the land like the McGinty government did and make that mistake again. So we have to get the federal government here, and and it has to happen much sooner than it's uh, than than later because uh, you know obviously the the community here can't sit by and wait for its you know wait for the town to be completely gridlocked for the next six months for the federal government to decide when it's good. We remember when uh, the McGinty government bought Douglas Creek. What what is happening with that land now? What is the future of that land? Well, that's that's part of the problem. Is uh, Scott that land's been sitting there for fifteen years? Nothing's changed. Nothing has happened. Uh, and I blame both the provincial governments uh, and Six Nations for not being able to come to 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 terms. Uh, you know, there's ultimately the ownership and the dollars that go with that ownership can be, you know, determined over the number, you know, over years. But the use of that land could have been decided many years ago to for the enjoyment of both the people of Six Nations and Haldeman County. And, and, and it could have been a long-term care center. It could have been an educational uh, center. It could have been a park. It could have been something. But right now, it's just an eyesore. And it's a reminder of the failure of 2006 and the provincial government. Ken Hewitt has been with us, Mayor of Haldeman. Ken, uh, what are you expecting this weekend, Halloween and such? Uh, well, hopefully we, uh, it's quiet. Uh, hopefully that uh, you know, people continue to, uh, to, you know, to obey the speeds uh, on the side roads and, and, and use some caution because it, it is dangerous. We've, uh, we've had some accidents. And uh, hopefully we, uh, we we get surprised with uh, with a treat and a treat coming from Ottawa and that's uh, Carolyn Bennett. Ken Hewitt with us, Mayor of Haldeman. Ken, thanks for the time. Be well. Good luck. Yep. Thanks, Scott. Uh, once again, uh, the Mayor of uh, Haldeman looking for the federal government to come in, and you know I, I think this is embarrassing 
for the federal government. You know, uh, anybody involved in truth and reconciliation, and certainly the way the prime minister uh, waves the flag, you would think the least they would do is have some sort of contact with the mayor or, or, or the people that are involved or Six Nations or anybody here in what is going on. Why is there not a liaison that comes in and, and when there's hot spots like this, give it that extra attention, make sure the dialogue's moving forward. Instead, you know, we're just looking for more photo ops. You know, uh, 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 preaching that he's a feminist, preaching that he's with truth and reconciliation. And yet Caledonia has been dealing with this for 15 years. We need a solution here. And the people from Caledonia, the people from Six Nations are asking for help. And the federal government is screaming back and forth. Oh, we're doing everything. Look at us go down at the ground level. They're doing nothing. Zero. They're capturing votes. They're poster children for whatever their cause is. But when people of Caledonia and Six Nations need their help as they have for 15 years, what's going on? Nothing. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment for anyone that says the phrase truth and reconciliation. Because clearly it ain't happening in Caledonia. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, south of the border, uh, it's uh, it's Halloween for more than one reason. Not only is it scary because of a, uh, a pandemic, but also a U.S. election going through its uh, the campaign going into its last weekend before uh, the election come Tuesday. Farah Nasser is with us, anchor with Global News, en route to cover the U.S. election, and is with us now. Farah, thanks for the time. Where are you now? I'm actually in Washington. So this is our second uh, full day in Washington. We drove through New York, Western New York, and Pennsylvania to get here. So what is the buzz? What is it like down there the weekend before a U.S. election? If I could put uh, it in one word, it would be anxious. I think people Hmm. are anxious. And I think that's because there's so many things happening at once. So COVID-19, obviously, that anxiety. And then there's also this anxiety about voting, about Election Day. What's going to happen? I mean, uh, I just noticed the Wells Fargo near a hotel, it's been boarded up. Um, There are there's obviously concerns about voter suppression and militia groups and that kind of thing. So there's that anxiety, division, clashes in other parts of the country. Um, So just people are just anxious. And, you know, I I, I passed by some joggers. I bumped into them this morning and they I said, you know, how are you feeling about it? Are you voting on Tuesday? They go, we just want this done. They just they're they just so tired of it. They just want it done. Can you feel the divisiveness? Is there any sign of, of people coming together here other than they all want to vote? You know, it's funny because both sides will tell you they want to come together. And it's in America, if you've ever interviewed Americans, you know that they'll they'll use the term commander in chief or united under the flag, you know. And yeah. I think there's a real sense from Americans, and I guess it's that military history, it, that it's, you know, we, we believe in our commander in chief. We follow that. Um, but, you know, 
it depends. It really depends on who you ask. And we were outside a bakery in Pennsylvania and we were just asking people because Americans will, will more likely tell you who they're going to vote for than Canadians do. And a debate erupted between two people. And, you know, one saying that Trump hasn't paid his taxes. He's actually paying his taxes to China. And one saying that to this other man, you know, you're fake news and, and that kind of thing. And it just happened in front, in front of us. And it just was a microcosm of what's happening all over the United States. Is this less about politics? And boy, oh boy, they are great at their team politics down there. You're either on this side or that side. Is this this time less about the team politics and more about the personality, more about the character, uh, one being uniting, one being divisive? I think this is in many ways a referendum on Trump, um, but... I think there's so many issues, like it's so layered and so complex yeah. right now. When you, when you talk about what's happening with COVID, when you talk about the economy and things like that, I think that there's still, there's just, there's just so many layers. So yes, I think for, for Democrats, for the Democrats I've spoken with at least, and that isn't a, a poll, it's just, you know, from conversations. I, the first thing that they say is we need a change. We need him out. He's not safe for the country. Um, so I think, I think it is about the person quite a bit. So what about the polls? I mean, there's been chatter for the last couple of weeks that Biden is in the lead. Then we've heard that that's sort of uh, uh, narrowing at times. Uh, That being said, we certainly remember what happened in 2016 and nobody predicted a Trump win and the polls had it completely wrong. Now, we've talked to experts that have said they've allowed for that this time. They've corrected, uh, you know, the fault from the last election. Is anybody willing to bet on this? You know, from, from Democrats we've spoken to, you'll, you'll see they don't use the term cautiously optimistic because they can't be yet. They can't. I mean, a national poll doesn't tell you the electoral college seats. And that's how Trump won last time, you'll remember. So it's going to be, I mean, I don't know. I can't predict anything. I, Americans are going to be the ones who are going to make the decision. But I, I don't think we can go by the polls and say this is what's going to happen. We also know in our own country, and you know this well, you know, in Ontario and in Canada, our polls haven't been accurate in picking what has happened, whether it's a minority or majority government or even who the, who the leader is. So I think, I think we have to be very careful when watching these polls. So that being said, uh, what do you report today? I mean, this literally changes by the hour. What's on the docket for today for these uh, two candidates? Well, they're, today they're in Minnesota. They're both having these dueling rallies. And I think it's just such a juxtaposition when you see those rallies together, right? You see the, the Trump with all these people around him and you see Biden having these, you know, safer drive-in rallies. And, you know, I spoke to a woman today and I said, doesn't it concern you? Like you're wearing a mask. Doesn't it concern you when you see these big rallies with Trump? And, and she said, no, our, our, he's my commander in chief and he's going to keep everybody safe. The reality is we know from um, the way the numbers have gone in a lot of these counties, they've seen COVID-19 rates go up. So I think COVID-19 is so intertwined in the story, especially since the United States is now going through this third wave. So what do you expect this weekend, Farah? I mean, obviously, we're into the, the home stretch here and, and, and Trump needs something to, to, to jerk this loose. Can anybody predict what this weekend will be like? I think, you know, I th- let's see if we see any more October surprises. I mean, a lot of people are, are wondering what's going to happen on Monday, if he's going to come up, come out with any announcement or anything like that. Uh, but I think I think what we're going to see is uh, here in Washington, I know there's going to be a prayer, uh, a prayer for him and for the country uh, on the National Mall. 
um, right now in, in this city in, in Washington, D.C., and also in um, cities around the United States, they're going to be boarding up windows, preparing for what could happen on Election Day. So I think it's, again, coming back to what I said to answer to your first question, there is so much anxiety right now. People are anxious here. How concerned are you, are people in Washington, about something happening post-election? Uh, you know, it started a few weeks ago where, where uh, the president started questioning whether the results he would accept or not. That became a big question in the media. It seems to keep coming up. Is this a, is this a, you know, a self-created issue here? Or is, are people genuinely concerned that anarchy will ensue depending on the result come Tuesday? Look, I think I think it is that I think there's I think they're just be, they're just preparing. They're preparing the best that they can. Um, mind you, I spoke to a voter today who thinks this is all just a scare tactic. He's from Maryland and he says, I'm not worried about voting Election Day. Actually, I'm not doing the advanced polls because the lines are so long. I'm going to go on Election Day. I don't think there's going to be a problem. So I think it really depends on who you ask. But these buildings like there's tons of historic buildings here and we're seeing some of the banks, some of the retail locations that are being boarded up. So. Anyway, I, I think it's I think it's we're going to see we're going to see we're going to have to wait. And, and I don't think anybody is in a position where they can make any predictions right now. So What's your agenda over the course of this weekend? How are you following this? Um, so I'll be out. I'll be out talking to people. I think that's the best way for me to do my coverage to kind of get a pulse of the voters. We're going to have full coverage uh, on Amazon Prime on um what else? On Amazon Prime, on GlobalNews.ca, on our Global News app, all the AM stations are going to be covering or taking yep. our coverage uh, on Election Day. So it's just really getting prepared for that. And, of course, CHML will be covering this live as well, taking the global feed. Farah, thank you so much for the time and insight. Have a great weekend. Uh, boy, it's going to be thank interesting you. for you. Stay well. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. We have talked at length about COVID-19 and the second wave. Uh, obviously, the second wave when it started uh, early fall, uh, late summer, uh, I guess beginning of September. Uh, many were concerned because the younger generation, those under 40, between 20 and 40 specifically, uh, that's where the uh, largest growth was for new cases. It seemed that uh, new cases uh, within that demographic were uh, certainly outpacing other uh, demographics. Many have questioned uh, the message that is uh, being put forth and uh, whether it is enough to uh, convince the younger demographics to participate in the protocol that is needed in order to keep this uh, virus under control. To talk all about this, let's bring in Jagris Hodson, Associate Professor at Royal Roads University in BC and is with us now. Jagris, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Oh, thanks for having me. So your thoughts on the messaging and, and why do you think that uh, specifically the 20 to 40 year olds uh, don't seem to be adhering to the protocol? <laughs> well, I can't speak to the second part of your question without talking to more 20 to 40 year olds. But in terms of the messaging, Scott, I wake up every morning, I check the news and I see in the news, oh, look, Doug Ford says he's going to be announcing another press conference related to COVID-19. Then, you know, later that day, I see the news. Doug Ford gave another press conference on COVID-19. Now, this way of, like, announcing to the media that you're going to be making an announcement and then making an announcement and sticking to your PR communication messaging, that worked long before social media. But in an age where people talk to one another in authentic, clever, funny ways, that's not going to resonate with young people who aren't really filtering their news through mainstream media at all. You know, they're getting it on YouTube. They're getting it on TikTok. 
they're not waiting, unfortunately, for us old fogies to tell them what to think. But at the end of the day, I mean, all we're talking about really as far as traditional media to social media is the method of distribution. And many of the traditional news sources, which have all of the accurate information, are also available and get hit quite a bit on social media. I have a hard time believing they're not getting the message at this point. No? Oh, I just I disagree with you. It's not just the method of distribution. So we always look clue and said the medium is the message. And that is really true in this case. You know, you can't just take a broadcast message and put it out on social media channels and expect people to resonate with it. You have to use these platforms the way they were designed. And that's completely different than the original top down style messaging. You need to talk to people. But more importantly, you need to listen to people. So, for example, um, you know, love him or hate him, uh, Jugmeet Singh has actually been really masterful in how he's been using social media platforms to uh, reach young people. He watches or his team watches. Somebody is, is watching and, and seeing, you know, what memes, what ideas are resonating in the youth community. And he's picking up on them. And then he is making his own to sort of fit into that conversation. But you can't do that with the old style of messaging. You really have to start listening and seeing what young people are picking up on and then going where they are in a way that they like. I, You know, I agree with everything you're saying 100%. Again, I keep coming back to, Jagris, though, the thought that I have a hard time believing no matter what your form or what your platform is, you have not heard this message yet. Yeah, well, maybe it's not so much that they haven't heard it, but whether it's landing, right? You know, like young people don't want to be scolded any more than they already are. You know, they have teachers yeah. oh, telling yeah. them what to do. They have parents telling them what to do. And then if public health officials also tell them what to do, it's just another adult telling them what to do instead of, again, tailoring a message in a way that reaches them on their level. So, uh, and, and, you know, I'm doing this with tongue-in-cheek. So what we need to do here is get on a longboard and grab some ocean spray, put on dreams and say, hey, the only thing that's missing here is a mask? Hey, maybe that would help. Maybe having a hamster <laughs> deliver the message would help. But, there, you know, there's just better ways, right, than your standard finger-wagging press conference. And if we don't care about what young people are into, why should they care about what we have to say? Well, because it's their world. Uh, but I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm playing this. I'm playing devil's advocate here as an old middle-aged man here. Um, is there anyone who is doing this right? You were talking about Jagmeet Singh and how he's identifying uh, the need to connect through uh, social media and such. Uh, what do we have to do uh, to bridge this gap? You know, that's a great question. There are uh, there's one doctor in Toronto who's starting to use TikTok to reach out with public health messaging. I think that's a great start. Um, around the world, there are you know, public health offices outside of Canada and the U.S. who are using TikTok to reach out with those types of messages. So I think we can learn from those examples. Um, you know, TikTok isn't the only game in town. Obviously, there are podcasts that young people like to listen to. YouTube is is a, a really popular source of news amongst younger people. So I think, you know, sort of finding out who those, you know, key YouTube and TikTok influencers are and watching for what they do and learning from that would be the best step that we can. Um, and then the other thing that I've noticed, I've worked with government before, is we have to let go of having such precise control, that top-down PR style of messaging. And we have mm. to start just talking to people. 
you know, like like I'm talking to you right now. That's a much better way uh, to get your message across than than you know the standard press conference where maybe one of your friends in the press gets one question, right? <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, we, we've certainly seen uh, politicians and 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 in various parties make use of social media after uh, uh, during their campaign. Um, the president and his use of Twitter. We certainly know that the prime minister has been very successful in in uh, cultivating an audience with social media. But do do these political parties of all stripes at all different levels? I mean, there has to be a communications expert. There is that. I mean, this is this is all they do. Uh, are they just not well versed on social media? Are there are there communications experts just not plugged into that generation? Well, Scott, from what I have seen, it seems to me like they are using social media, but they're using it for the same style of messaging that has right. always been in broadcast media, and that's where they're going wrong. So if you need to get your message approved by several levels of managers and directors before getting it through to maybe the prime minister signs off and then finally you can put it on Twitter, um, that's not going to work because social media favors authenticity. It wants that immediate message, you know, that responds to the viral longboarding video or what have you. So what is the difference? How do we need to alter the message? Because I was using the method of delivery. You brought up a valid point. The message can't be the same. It has to be different. And we're seeing social uh, traditional media fight with that all the time, uh, just thinking that they can take whatever the content they have and just put it to another platform and it will work. I've had lots of discussions with management about that because what people right. consume online is way different than what they may read in a newspaper or on consume yeah. on traditional media. I don't think we should be writing for online the way we do typical journalists. Uh, styles with newspapers and such. So what is the difference between those two types of message, messaging, meaning traditional media and, and social media? How, how does the message, uh, with the same information, but the message be different? Oh, well, that's a great question. And you have to remember, too, that social media isn't all the same. So what you write for Facebook yeah. should be different than what you write for Twitter, should be different yeah. than what you do for TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so when I am advising people and I do some consulting as well, I always tell them you have to go on and you have to listen first. So you find that audience, right? Like our young people, they're not really on Facebook except to hang out with their parents. So, so you go where they are, first of all, maybe TikTok, maybe YouTube. You look at what's popular there, what's resonating, what people are saying, um, and then you tailor your message to fit that. But it always begins with listening. And because these platforms change so fast, the best advice is to listen first and then tailor your message uh, because, you know, by the time you and I get off the phone, there might be a new platform that, that everybody's into. Oh, uh, man, we've just touched on a very valuable part of this discussion, and unfortunately we're out of time, so I would love to continue this in the future. Jagris Hudson has been with us, Associate Professor, Royal Roads University, talking about young people and how we deliver the message via social media uh, to get the COVID-19 uh, protocol across. Jagris, fascinating discussion. Thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you for having me, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.